Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do, thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine, yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 130 of the Corona Diaries. 130. <laughs> now I know what you've been doing. <laughs> 130. And because it's an episode that ends in a zero, as tradition dictates, we've got a special guest. Well, I wouldn't say special, but a guest. That's me. Uh, well, you are now, because in the breakfast cereal game, your moniker is Special K. Yeah, you're absolutely oh, special. Of course, yeah, yeah. Like it or not. Yeah, so you're special whatever. You've got no choice. I still uh, Mark, love... Mark is with us, for those who haven't put two and two together. Yes, Yes. But How I, are you, Mark? I, I'm fine. I was about to say, I still love Peter Bix best, though. I think that's the best one. <laughs> we, we, Yes, yes. And there's the other one for Pete that we're not allowed to talk about. But uh, Peter Shredded Bix Pete. is... Shredded, Shredded Pete. Pete. <laughs> yeah. Kind of better, in a way. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we don't want to offend him. Um, but there is a bit of class about Shredded Pete. Um, you're backstage, aren't you? You're in Utrecht. Yes, we, we're we're um, we're in a slightly breeze blocky room. If we're a bit echoey, um, but that's the Dutch for you. Um, and we're backstage at a fabulous gig called uh, the Music Centrum in Fredenburg in Utrecht. Um, I've played it many times, and it's it's a really fantastic space. It always sells out first out of everything we put on sale because the Dutch are extremely dedicated and keen and passionate. And here we are. Hmm. One would almost say that they want to get their, their their money paid so they can come and tell you how to do it better. <laughs> you said that, not us, because yeah. we've still got to play another night here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we still got to walk the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Although last night it was fabulous. We had a, a, a great gig, great audience. And uh, the thing is, they're so close. It's like a very in the round sort of it's almost like a you know like a circus type thing and the, and the 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 balcony bits are really close to the stage so you get great feedback from the audience i don't know if it's that or they're just very noisy but maybe a bit of both yeah we are well, you're encircled a bit here yeah. aren't you? which is nice pete I, I read something on social media pete had said that he thought it was the best gig of the tour so far so what did you do better last night that you haven't done on previous nights well, he just played more correct notes on the bass, probably. Pete, Pete judges the whole thing about, you know, on, on how well he played. All right. So, so, so we it can was come Pete's off, best night. Yeah, exactly. We can come off stage and go, wow, that was amazing. And Pete would be like, oh, it was really bad. Yeah, I missed three notes. <laughs> yeah. So, but, it was good, though. Yeah. He was quite right. It was an absolute cracker. And I'd been looking forward to Paris for, you know, years because... Uh, had such amazing shows at the Zenith in the past. And it was great, Paris, but I think this may have pipped it last night as a as a vibration and, and from the band as well. You know, everything just gelled together last night. So does Pete come off stage and, and like do it as a fraction, his percentage of good notes slash against his percentage of notes played? 
He's no like three idea. out of 14,012 or something. Pete's just never happy. I mean, when, when he's happy, it's a red-letter day. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> he's yeah. never happy. And for all of us to come off stage and go, that was a great gig, it almost never happens. The, only, the one time I can remember it, it vividly was the first time we played at the Royal Albert Hall. So that shows you how many years it took before we all come off stage and went, wow, that was amazing. Great audience. We all played really well. It all came together in a beautiful venue. But... They are rare, as in one so far. <laughs> that was a great night, though. That really was a great night. I mean, I was privileged to be there that night, and that was a stunning night. Yeah. Wasn't it just? Mm. Mm. Still look back on that one, I guess. That's still warm, fuzzy glow, I imagine. Yes. Mind you, Ian said the other day, I'm, I hope we never have to play the Royal Albert Hall again. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I had him bundled into a trunk at that point and thrown in a canal. I think he's still in there. Yeah, I think um, Ian is, does come up with the classics. You know, he's, <laughs> the comments to bring everybody down. I mean, Mike Hunter still hasn't gotten over that time that he said, this song makes me want to throw up. <laughs> and yeah, that's after Mike had been working on it for about three months. But, you know, we, we, we all have our moments, foot, you right. know, foot in mouth moments. Right. Especially I, I, me. I know you're not going to tell me, but which song was he referring to? Oh, it was one that hasn't seen the light of day yet. Ah. Um, for that reason. For that <laughs> very reason. Has it not? Mark, was, Mike folded his arms and has yet to unfold them <laughs> over that. Um, yeah, it was that um, song about the cold face, of the, uh, you know, going deeper into the ground and... Uh, I think it was that I one. No, was I thought it was. Um, I thought it was one that was released. That, um, oh God, I can't remember what it's called. Oh, years ago, yeah. say the word. Say the word. He said that yeah. made him feel sick. That yeah, was it. and then he said it again. And then he right. said it yeah, again. Yeah. yeah, while we were writing. Yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, that yeah, one yeah. hasn't seen the light of day. But you <laughs> they, know what? There must I, be beautiful moments when that happens. There is hope. I mean, I always, I always say. I mean, I have been saying, and I noticed that when we were making this album, we had about ten or twelve songs that were at various stages of completion, and we kind of ranked them in order of how good we thought they were, and we were generally agreed. And towards the, let's call it the relegation list, there was two or three, and one of those was Crow and the Nightingale. And from that point to when we finally decided what was going on in the album, it came on in leaps and bounds. So you never know, you know, just the, the way you treat an arrangement, different things that you do can really make a difference, you know. So there's always hope. There is. You, you have to really give things a chance before you rule them out, I think. They're only one 24-piece <laughs> choir away from being great. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So how are you enjoying playing this live, Mark? Because you had a lot to do with the writing process, didn't you? Yeah, I've, I'm really enjoying it, actually. Um, there's a few hairy moments. When we get past those, it's like, oh, we can relax now. And it's, it's, it's at the beginning of the set. Um, you know, be hard on yourself is, is for a number of reasons. I think, one, because it's first. We always play it better in the soundtrack than we do during the gig. And I think just because everybody's like, a, you know, on adrenaline and the nerves are there. And, and it's one that if everybody starts racing away it can very quickly fall apart i was going to say do you tend to over if you do anything do you overplay that i Is think that-, that yeah i think we all listen to each other less when you're in a heightened state of anxiety you know 
and it really requires a lot of control and listening and, and working together and and um, at that that early point in the set it can be one of those you know get knocked down in the first round and never recover you know <laughs> it's happened a few times but lately it's it's been better and then as as we work through the the, the album it, I, I feel like it sort of gets better murder machines is usually really good crow and the nightingale and you know and so on so so by the time we get to the end the care the audience are always on their feet i mean it gets a, an amazing reaction so it's a it's a great album to play live it's all mm. really good live actually we we talked about it a bit actually on previous on previous episodes it hangs together so well live yeah exactly it, yeah you know it, it feels like an album that was meant to be played live and and not all of them do true in, you know no, um, I think some of them have been a little more constructed in the studio than others. Um, and I guess to some extent this was. But nonetheless, it 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 just always felt, the component parts always felt good in the room when we played them, and that hasn't really changed much. Does it have anything to do with the number of pieces you assemble? Have you assemb- I know that sounds daft, but have you assembled fewer bits on this? Does that kind of make sense? That like the, the snippets you had were a minute and a half, two minutes long rather than being 30 seconds long or three or four minutes long rather than being... Does that make any sense at all? None whatsoever. Um, okay, fine, we'll move on then. There, Sorry, Mike, you were going to say is, something. I think there Hang is, on, Mark no, thinks no, it I, might. Yeah, I think there's one thing that we started doing, I'm not sure when, but a few years back, Mike used, called it jamming towards rather than just jamming aimlessly, which is a lot of what the jamming is. Ah. So where he will take something we've already jammed and say, look, can we look at this today? Which usually means... Kind of learning what we did in the jam, and then starting there and seeing where it goes. So it's sort of like a, and in that way you end up with bits that might have been a thirty-second piece becomes three or four minutes, and and might end up being component parts of a song. I'm I'm thinking of something like "Be Hard on Yourself," where the different sections sort of evolved out of jams around something, you know. Right. So bigger chunks, basically, which is I think yeah, which is kind of what I was I was getting to. I mean, a lot of the songs on. On now before it starts, feel like two or three chunks rather than six or seven. Yeah, I think that's probably uh, true. Back to be hard on yourself. Is that song more tricky? Is the more technical stuff going on in there, or is it just the fact it's first up? I think it's a bit if of you both. played it halfway through the set. It's a bit of a drum solo, isn't it? To some extent, it's, it's very yeah. uh, it's very syncopated uh, rhythmically. And if Ian gets a bit carried away with all his paradoodles and his and his grace tiddly bombs, um, it kind of can get it can kind of start to lose some of the samples and the sequences that are running with it, uh, and then we get into we get into a clever Ableton land, which Mark is going to explain to yeah. you now because okay. I'm a singer and I haven't got a clue. So, like, well, we, like- we are going to come to Ableton. Uh, okay. we'll carry on. No, 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 go in now. Go in now. So people might wonder what, why I've got two computers on stage now when I only used to have one. Well, one of them is all my keyboard sounds that I'm playing, but the other one is running Ableton Live, which some people may be familiar with. Um, and what Ableton Live is very, well, I think the clue's in the name, live. It's almost like a, a sequencer recording program that you can use in a live situation. And most people use it playing little loops and, you know, you know DJing type stuff. Well, we don't do that, but we use it to play back some of the things that we've recorded that we can't possibly do ourselves on stage. For example, the choir noir in, in, in Crow and the Nightingale. Or there's a few little 
blippy synthy sequency things going on in, in in behind and yourself there's a few little drum loop things there's some big blocks of backing vocals and there's um some power guitar chords that really help drive it along but but steve r is playing lead guitar through most yeah. of the song so so short of having another guitarist on stage these we'll, we'll, we'll stick some of this stuff in ableton and it plays along the problem with that is the band needs to play exactly the same tempo and lengths of sections as we would on the album which means that playing playing to a click track now there's a new feature on Ableton, and you know me being the sort of person that likes to try out new things, um, which is called follow, which basically means you don't need a click track. It will listen to the drummer, and basically speed up and slow down in real time with the drummer. Because even a, a really tight drummer that plays consistent has variations in the tempo all the time. It's just slight, and you don't really notice them. But but you'd very quickly get out of sync if you weren't following it you know or like the players follow the drummer well ableton follows the drummer and but only in some sections so it just gives it gives the music room to breathe and it just sounds more like a live performance without being stuck to a click if that makes any sense it makes a lot of sense to me yeah i'm I'm wondering about i've probably lost some people along the way there so come back now i've finished the explanation stop making your cups of tea <laughs> stop skipping forward using that button you know skip 30 seconds i've finished okay and it's fair to say you're pushing because there was a little bit about this at the start of the tour and you are pushing the boundaries of what that software was intended to do kind of even though what you're using it for is exactly what it says on the tin yeah, there's a guy who calls himself Ableton Drummer on, online. Um, I've just been in contact with him, and he said, oh, he was really excited that, that we were using it because he said, oh, not many people are using it yet, which means it's, I, it's, it's a little bit... I wouldn't say it's experimental. I think it works really well, you yeah. know, except that sometimes if you've got a drum pattern that isn't, you know, fairly straightforward, and as H just pointed out on, on Beharden Yourself, it's a little bit of a drum solo in places, a lot of syncopated stuff. And, you know, it's complicated for a human to follow, never mind a machine. So, um, but I think it's a, I'm absolutely convinced that it it will improve and more and more people will use it and, and abandon being stuck with click tracks. You know, certain music, certain, you know, electronic music, it works really well because it's so, you know, to the beat and so... Yeah, so rigid, isn't so it? So rigid, exactly. But our music probably doesn't really benefit from being that rigid. Yeah, Ian's not really a, a dump cat, dump cat no. kind of drummer. He's more of a dump fifty 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 pop, fifty 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 pop, fifty fifty pop, fifty pop pop. So if you're a machine trying to work out where the downbeat is, you you know you've got your work cut out. And fifty 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 pop is actually a phrase I hear a lot backstage. <laughs> it's yeah, when we're talking about drums, we usually use the fifty 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 fifty. He's a fifty drummer, really. Yeah, they call them um, ghost notes or grace notes, don't they? On the on, on the snare drum, mainly you hear that grace notes. Yeah. Slave to the rhythm. Yes. But rolling back, and this might help people understand a little bit more. A long, long, a long, long way back. If you wanted to play a sample, you would you would actually have to play the sample, wouldn't you? You would you would sort of make a key on the keyboard sound like you know a guitar chord. Yeah, I really and you started, would have to play it. Really started all that stuff with the Brave album because we had a lot of things that Dave had recorded, Dave Megan, 
um, during the making of the album. It's very layered, lots of things that we couldn't all possibly play. And just weird stuff that happened in the studio. You know, weird guitar noises and things that you just can't do while you're playing normally. Um, so what I would do is I would um, take that little recording, it might be a few seconds long, and like you say, assign it to a key on the keyboard. So you hit the key and it plays the sample, a bit like a little tape loop, you know. Um, but then, of course, very quickly, I'd either get really confused because I had so many keys with so many different things on to remember. I thought, hang on a minute, Pete's got a set of pedals. I'll get him to have some. So then Pete was great because he would literally have his 12 bass pedals would all have something different on them. And it might be, you know, a little sound effect, a little bell or a little, you know, whatever percussion thing. Like in the Brave um, song, there's like a little, what is it, like a little sleigh bell shing, thing that goes... Yeah, what that was, was a load of bells fastened to a, a big broom handle. It was another thing Megan got onto. Uh, Sounds like Morris dancing to uh, me. Yeah, it was in that area. So it had a proper name, but I think it did go back to pagan stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, you loved and all you, that. And you banged it on the, we banged it on the staircase in the castle and it had all beer bottle tops fastened to it and sleigh bells and God knows what, and it went... Yeah, that was it. Uh, so Pete had that in... So he, he'd have that on one of his bass pedals, you know. So that was the beginning of all that sampling stuff that we did back in 93, 94. But it was a bit of a nightmare. And, and the, you know, the amount of sampling memory that you had available back then meant that you'd have to be really conscious of not having samples too long. And maybe a lot of them had to be mono or low bit rate, you know. So it was, it was primitive, but it worked. Um, but moving forward now with Ableton, you'd, it's not necessary to have those samples all on keys. You know, you can free up the keyboard just for playing and have them be playback as and when you need them during the song. As long, so, as, we, as, long as it all stays in sync with the band. Well, and this is the bit I was going to say. So the in-between part was playing to a click track and having those samples programmed in at particular intervals. That's the in-between that takes you to where you are now, isn't it? Yes, so you went for a, through a phase of Ian was playing religiously to a click because essentially the samples were always going to come in at the same points in time. Yeah, then we moved on to using a multi-track recorder, this you know, like a hard disk recorder with with yeah. the, the samples on, and then we'd have different click tracks. So that Ian would have a click track for him. We'd have a click track for the members of the band that weren't the drummer. So because when Ian's not playing, we all <laughs> still we all still need to be able to play at the right tempo. So. Yeah. But but we didn't want to listen to Ian's click track when he was playing, and he didn't want to listen to our click track when when he wasn't playing. So, and then and then we realised actually H didn't want a click track. He didn't. He, he hates the click, so he doesn't want to have to listen to the click unless you know he really needs it, like counting him into a particular part or if he's playing. So we had a special click for H then. And then Yen said, I want a click so that he can have a click for the cue when the lights are going to happen because it, if there's no drummer going tick. Tick, tick at the beginning of a song, Jens would have no idea when to hit the, the big flash of lights at the start of a song. So, um, so we've got four click tracks running now, all different for different people. But what you're ultimately getting back to is you're getting back to playing as a band more, aren't you? Because if something like Ableton works and you can eradicate the click as much as possible, then actually yeah. you're back to behaving as a band. It's just the samples are kind of happening by magic. Yeah, so for example, with Murder Machines, we have the... The bass, piano, string intro, that's played to a click. So we, me and Peter are listening to a click to play to that. But as soon as Ian comes in and the song starts, the proper song, with this big synth bass that's going on, that is all 
no click and the, the computer is following Ian and is playing the synth bass in time with Ian and it works really well so it's yeah and you know the song breathes it's, it doesn't you know we're not stuck to this rigid click it sets everybody free to some degree yeah but too much freedom it's, it's never been good for anyone <laughs> yeah. no, occasionally we get a little bit fast <laughs> but it's a really interesting development if you think about if you go back to season's end go back to the first time I saw you guys play live and yeah, you, okay, you had things like the uh, sax solo in Berlin had to be sampled onto something because there was nobody playing sax. But outside of that, there's not a lot of samples going on. It's 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 the band, and it's and it's and, it's, and you're playing the sax solo effectively. You're playing it as a sax solo. You just play it on the keyboard, really, weren't you? I was triggering different phrases, and and NH was doing it on the cricket oh. bat, yeah. Later but the point I'm making, it was a relatively free experience back back at sort of that sort yeah, of time. Yeah, it was. Totally free yeah. back then. It, everything was played. In fact, we might even have had a little rule that if we couldn't play it between the five of us, we wouldn't we wouldn't use it. That rule didn't last long, but we did we did have it for a while. But that rule was never going to survive Brave, was it? That's no. <laughs> they said. No. <laughs> no, but right. no one and nothing survived Brave. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> If you've still got questions, you're going to have to write in and ask them after here because I think we've done a reasonable job. Mark, I think you've done a really good job there of explaining kind of all that giz that's going on. Good. I'm glad because now I understand it a bit better myself. <laughs> right. Right. H, are you any wiser? Uh, no. Right. <laughs> Not <Okay>. generally. <laughs> right. No, ab- about that, yes. About yeah. that, yes. yes. About that, yes. Right. Okay. So, so that... Obviously, and you're enjoying playing the new stuff. A bit too loud, yeah. Sorry. A bit too loud. He's engineering, he can't. No, no, it's just the engineer. I've got the headphones on. Uh, mm. I can turn you on, Oh, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Sorry, carry on. Sorry. It's it's all right. It's all right. Because I've noticed you haven't going over towards the computer as well two or three times when you thought nobody was looking. Uh, Oh, you've got earphones in. You can hear it anyway. Yeah, I can. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. So about what? Yeah. So obviously, Utrecht. Everything's going well. You're enjoying playing it, um, and everybody seems happy. Steady um, on. Yes, I think we're happy. I think we're the happiest we've been as a band probably for years. Yeah, I think that's true. I think Lewis has helped, and then before that, you know, the orchestral players having them on the bus just shook us into another place a little bit. I think, and, and perhaps reminded us how lucky we all were. Because over the years, we, we might have got just a little bit, um, you know, t- taking it for granted, being on a tour bus rattling around doing these shows. Mm. And then when you've got other people uh, who, who are just genuinely fired up to be there, yeah. it's contagious. It? And especially when they're of such great pedigree, like somebody like Lewis who's played with absolutely everybody you can think of, and he's coming on tour with us going, yeah, I'm really enjoying this, and it's great playing with you guys. It really does give you a bit of a boost and makes you think, yeah, we're lucky. This it, is great. It's kind of validatory, isn't it, in a way? You think, oh, we must be proper then if, yeah, you know, <laughs> if we're measuring up to all those other people. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we're a bit more proper than we thought we were. Maybe that's all it needed a few a few you know, a few years ago. Just somebody to come along and say, Actually you're right, you lot. You're not bad at all. Well, yeah, the right person. You know what I mean? And by that I don't I don't mean, you any, mean Lewis, any disrespect, but somebody who we all, you know, perhaps our own heroes. If they come down out of the tree and you know and and uh, give you the nod of approval, it, it means an awful lot. 
Mark, why have you stopped doing backing vocals? Um, well, because I wasn't really doing much to start with, and then it was fewer and fewer songs, and then I just felt a bit silly having a microphone up there just on the off chance that I might do a bit of backing vocals. And there's only a few that really, like, no one can cover my eyes and bits of brave, but, um, yeah, I just thought I'll take the microphone away, you know. <laughs> and it, was that... Have you stopped in the studio as well then? I mean, yeah. when was the last time you did a studio, BV? A long, long time ago, yeah. At least 10 right. years ago. Yeah, it's a shame because he's got a nice voice. Yeah, well, I remember you saying that before, H, that yeah. you, you, you got a really nice voice. Yeah, he's got a nice tone, really nice Yeah, tone, tone is okay, tuning not so much, but at well, least, at least in the studio. You've got a bit of software God, for that, God sure. Knows. We've not we got Melodyne. Okay, I'll have a little go on the next album then. Yeah, How about that? See? You should. <laughs> so, describe how you, in the studio then. How do you two work? What's the, what's the bits that you do that nobody else does when you're working together? What, just the two of us? Yeah, yeah. Because I know you mentioned you've mentioned the past age about uh, what Mark brings to uh, melody lines. Well, I mean, when when we're working together, and nobody else is in the room. That, that doesn't happen very often, but. Um, well, I just listen to what he does, you know. Mark, Mark has a, an, a, a a talent for coming up with really unusual musical moves that that I would never come up with in a million years. So I, I tend to just shut my eyes and try and hang melodies on them. And sometimes they're so crazy it just can't be done. But other times, <laughs> because they are unusual, you know, it forces you into unusual places melodically that... that it can end up being quite extraordinary, you know. So um, more than the you know the usual three chord dooby dooby do stuff that everybody else writes. Um, so I, I I work with Mark the, the way I work with uh, everyone really, which is j- just ha- have the words up, try and feel what the music is is saying to me, and see if I've got anything that has that feeling. And then try hanging it on and seeing if it has the right, see if it has the right number of syllables to, uh, to throw a melody that will sit against it. So there's so many variables, and most of the time it either doesn't work or works, and you wish it hadn't. Uh, and you know you'll come up with something that, that isn't particularly appealing. But every now and again you get those special moments. Um, I can't remember the last time the two of us just sat down and scattered. I remember the front of Happiness is the Road, you know. The great That's right, yeah. yeah. That was just the two of us. That was in real time, more or less. Okay, uh, we've had a few of those moments over the years. Like the Memory of Water was another one where we literally just did it in real time. Never, yeah. never play, played or sung it before, and literally, in fact, on the original demo, you can hear I go to a chord, and you're, he tries to follow me. It's like, and then we all falls apart. <laughs> but, but you know, most of it came together in that that two two minutes that you you hear in the final recording. This is the twenty first century. Yeah, yeah, I think we did that together. But I, you know, I like like Steve says, I always. I have always, I should say, strived to come up with something that's not your basic three or four chords. And occasionally it, it's just 
too different and doesn't work or I just, you know, reach for a chord that, you know, is just too random and, and, and you know, ruins the mood. And, and that can sometimes upset, upset Steve R because he gets into a groove with things and wants to, you know, explore it. Uh, whereas I get bored. I said, well, that's not bored. But I just want to, you know, push it a different way, you know. But I've, as I've gotten more mature, I've realised that there's a lot to be said for the the real straightforward stuff and one of my favorite moments on the album and it is just c major sorry yeah c major g c major seven a minor d the most basic cause is dreaming in the white sands that bit on sierra leone which it's just piano and voice really and it's just such a great vocal melody and really but it's basic but still sounds like marillion it still doesn't sound like another song um, so, you know, you can still do it. It's, it's the amazing thing about music that even though these 12 notes have been used in so many different ways, there's still new things to be discovered. For centuries. Yeah, new things can come up, don't they? They're thrown up all the time. Memory of Water, this is the 21st century. Those are quite, they are quite interesting. You know, I would say they have relatively unique sound. And Memory of Water, when I first heard that, really did sound quite different. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Um, but it's... But yeah, and the intro to Happiness is the Road. It's, 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 the sound for me was what me, what's made me pursue that. And, and of course, once we started, um, you know, some things just seem to write themselves. You literally just start playing and it just comes out. And you look back, you know, you look back at it afterwards and go, why did I do that move? But you don't know why, but you did. And, you know, it's not, um, it's not a conscious thing for me anyway. So, you know, I don't think, oh, I'm going to try this chord next. I just, my hands just do it, you know. They come out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> but there must be an element now where you two almost know what the other one's going to eat. Like in that... No. Nope. Sierra Leone, is it? No, <laughs> sir. No, right, fine. Fine. Oh, why did I'll dream of that day. I dream of that dream, day. When, when, that's, when that's going to happen. Right, okay. Um, we'll, we'll take a very quick break and go for a little bit of, of, of diary. I think you're going to cover an entire year again. I've got oh, a sneaking suspicion. Well, this, yeah. I think you're going to do 2007, because I think it's only about three or four pages. Okay. Um, I haven't read it. Somewhere else. But, but I'm not going to ask... Any questions on it either? Okay. What was it doing in 2007? I think it's an eight show, actually. Oh, is it? Yes. That was a year uh, after uh, Lynette and I got together. So Yeah, we don't keep back in until October. Right. So Probably moved you, you, you know. Brackley. Bled in. Yeah, you were obviously doing a lot of home stuff. Um, but I think we start with David Baddiel being on the plane with you. Oh, right. We were on our... Oh, that was when she got pregnant. Yes, it's all coming to me now. Yeah, we went to Italy. What, on that plane? Well. <laughs> Did you join the Mile High Club? <laughs> Successfully be, as well, by the sound of it. There must be a special club for uh, for that, for, yeah. for getting people pregnant. That can't have been a Ryanair service, can The 10 Miles High Club. No, I think we discovered she was pregnant when we got there because she got ill and neither of us realised why she didn't feel very well, and I went and did the gig, and left her in the hotel in bed because she couldn't. She didn't want to get out of bed, and then we discovered that she was uh, in the club. So uh, yes, that was Italy. It was Italy in Cervia. Um, this is the Hotel Rudy, the hotel that Giorgio and Anna own, 
And there was nobody there because it was off season. It was a bit like um, that other overlook. But that other thing I can't remember with Jack. The Shining. Yeah, the, the Shining. Shining. The Overlook <laughs> Hotel. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, we were all on our own. And then I went off and did the gig and left her completely on her own, which she found a bit spooky. Being in a big empty hotel is a bit strange, I think. When you and, and you came back and she was pregnant. The lone female. Yes. As well, long as she wasn't swinging a baseball bat. It's <laughs> the Italians for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> Should we go to diary? David Baddiel was on the plane. You're quite right. And, and I think Hugh... Um, Hugh from uh, you from uh, Mark the Week. What's he called? Hugh Dennis. Hugh Dennis. Hugh Dennis and uh, David Baddiel were on the plane somewhere at the back, um, and uh, that was notable. And Lynetta was in the club. That was notable, and we, we had a gig. And I don't think I've mentioned in the diary actually that. that um, the, either the headphones or the uh, microphone was live. And whenever I put my lips on the microphone, some, something was giving me shocks in my ears, which is quite unusual. <laughs> I thought it was going... <laughs> That's Italy. Um, yes, let's go to Diary. Two thousand and seven Friday fifth of October Home Chervia Drove to Stansted made pretty good time met up with Roderick Comedian Hugh Dennis was in the queue at check in comedian David Badil was also on the plane. Maybe they're doing something together. The Ryanair plane to Bologna was a shocker. The seats don't recline and are finished in yellow plastic. The visual onslaught continues overhead, where gaudy adverts have been attached to the overhead locker doors. It was like being on a tube train. Ryanair certainly know their market, and treat their passengers accordingly. There was a long, slow-moving queue at passport control in Bologna. After about 15 minutes, the officials decided to move things along, and didn't even look at mine. Bags were going round on the carousel when we finally made it there. We were met by Dave and Giorgio. Drove to Chervia to Hotel Rudy, which belongs to Anna and Giorgio. They're all pretty hardcore Marillion fans and very lovely people. We had a light dinner, Beck's and red wine. Giorgio and Anna have offered us a few nights at the hotel for free, which is very sweet and generous of them. Lynetta seems to have ricked her neck. Saturday, 6th of October, Chervia, H-Natural Show. Woke up to discover Lynetta not well. In and out of the bathroom with a bad tummy. Oh no. We had breakfast and walked through the pines to the gig with Roderick and Stephanie. The gig's a bit like a school hall. It will probably look alright in the dark. Lynetta was still feeling unwell, so she returned to the hotel and went back to bed for the day. Sound check at 5pm. All fine apart from a dodgy mic lead. This is something of a triumph in Italy. Went back to the hotel to spend an hour with Lynetta, who is still laid out. She's unable to manage the gig, 
so I left her watching crap Italian TV. The gig was absolutely great, a brilliant audience, especially after the relatively half-hearted Dutch show the week before. Passion and Italy are synonymous words, really. After the show, I wanted to get back to Lynetta, but I was virtually mobbed as I tried to leave and did autographs and photographs for 40 minutes. Came back clutching bottles of wine, jewellery, demo CDs, photographs and little notes. Sunday, 7th of October, Chevia. Got up around 11 and went down to breakfast where Stephanie Ringway was waiting to give me my watch. I must have left it in the gig. Roderick was already on the plane home. Had a slow breakfast and showed everyone excerpts from the new Somewhere in London movie. Anna said we could borrow her car. Went over the road to the Club Fantini and reclined on outdoor sofas in the sun by the sea all day. Steph returned and we stayed on. There was a dog show today, so there were dogs everywhere and a singing karaoke artist by the sea who looked like Lech Wałęsa in glam gigolo clothes. He sang a song with a chorus which sounded like HIV, reminded me of Kuntifaci from the old days, a story told to me by my old tour manager soundman Paul Owen, last seen doing monitors for Metallica. Can't remember the band, probably Slade, but they all checked into a hotel in Italy and one of the road crew, being tired and travel-weary, wasn't in the mood for form-filling. He just wanted to get into a room and sleep. When the check-in papers were forced upon him, in the name field he wrote, Cunt Face. No one seemed to notice or comment until an hour later when the local police arrived and assembled the entourage in reception, demanding to speak to Signore Cuntefacci as his passport had not matched his name. Walked by the sea, drank another beer. Lynetta was feeling better, but delicate. In the evening, we had dinner with Giorgio, Anna, their children Lorenzo and Bianca, and Anna's brother and mother. Little Bianca asked if I was bringing Pink Floyd with me. Drank the wine I'd been given, which turned out to be Quote, the best and most expensive wine in Tuscany, unquote. It was very nice. Lovely seafood. Lynetta was trying to go easy with the food, and drink is now more or less out of bounds. We just found out she's pregnant. We're keeping it quiet for now. I redoubled my efforts in order to help. Monday, 8th of October. Cervia to San Gemignano. Woke to an empty hotel. Giorgio and Anna had gone home to get the kids to school. The children live with their grandmother during the season because Giorgio and Anna must work every day and night at the hotel. I guess the winters are sacred then, and they probably dread the spring coming. Giorgio had arranged a car from local Hertz office. Sadly, no convertibles available, so ended up with VW Touran people carrier thing. Okay, though. The Hertz car rental man looked like John Belushi. Loaded up and drove to Tuscany, heading for San Gimignano, the slow way over the mountains. Got a bit lost to start with, and had near-death experience when I didn't see a white van coming at a road junction. Still getting to grips with the driving on the right thing. 
Fortunately, the driver of the white van had good control in a skid. Said sorry to him, but he was in too much shock to absorb the apology. Lovely drive. Stopped at the top of the mountain road for a toasty and almonds and coffee. Lynetta feeling a little better. Drove back down the other side of the mountains and onwards in search of San Gimignano, a strange ancient village on a hill with old stone rectangular towers, which, when viewed from afar, are reminiscent of a medieval Manhattan. We arrived at San Gimignano around 8.30 and found rooms advertised in a bakery. The lady at the bakery was called Barbara. Barbara drove us to a nearby villa. She said it's lovely, there's a swimming pool. Satellite TV, a wonderful view of San Gimignano and a beautiful ambience. But it was dark. Barbara said it was paradise. We looked forward to the morning. Drove back to SG and walked up the hill. I thought San Gimignano was almost too well kept, a hint of Disneyland about it. Had dinner in a hotel restaurant, bright lighting, apple pudding and spicy cream. Back to the B&B to discover breakfast finishes at 9.30. So just B, then. The satellite TV was bust, and there was a man snoring like a water buffalo in the next room. The walls were thick stone, but I don't think they were joined to the ceilings, because it was like he was in the room with us. L was up most of the night being sick, poor thing. Happy holes, my darling. Tuesday, 9th of October, San Gimignano, Tuscany. In the morning, a woman in the next room spoke loudly into the phone for half the morning before putting the water buffalo on, who said, yada yada mama, yada yada mama, 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 for another half hour. We were suddenly told to check out at 10am, so there was no time to enjoy the view or the pool, which was being cleaned, or the ambience, as there was a digger digging a big hole next door. I was still half asleep as I loaded the car, and I hit Lynetta squarely on the head, closing the tailgate. Last straw. I have hardly ever known her cry. I felt dreadful. So much for paradise. Back again to SG, and had long, slow salad at a cafe with a view of the Tuscan landscape. Amazing. People passing, Americans, Japanese. The whole world probably passes here in ten years. Bought a little framed photograph of Tuscan countryside. Lynetta bought a handbag while I queued for a loo, which, after waiting ages and paying the concierge 50 cents, turned out to be a hole in the ground. Took my business elsewhere. In fact, to the ice cream shop. Drove to Siena and went shopping. Bought a G-Star navy blue winter jacket. Spoke to Lucy about whether or not to cancel festival gigs in June. Checked due date on internet pregnancy site. Apparently we're due on the 12th of June. Drove to Livorno, eating takeaway pizza. Got lost. Reversed out of the payage in Prato and also tried to enter at the exit. This is quite dangerous. Finally found Livorno and checked into AC Hotel. Comfier bed than paradise in San Gimignano and nobody snoring. Lynetta woke up feeling much better. Hooray! 
Hooray! Drove around for ages trying to find a five-star hotel by the sea. Couldn't. Ended up at a very nice beach bar just south of Livorno called Castiglioncello. You had to go down a load of steps to it, which seemed to belong to a hotel that was closed. The weather at this point was glorious, and to find a private little beach bar with its own secluded beach was a godsend. There were a handful of people in swimwear hanging around the bar, and they wasted no time in making conversation. One particular chap called Rolf was most eager to chat, and shared with me his extensive, he thought, knowledge of contemporary music. He proudly declared that he didn't know much about any pop music since the end of the 70s. He then went on to ask me about my music. I hate it when this happens. It's hard enough trying to explain any art form to someone so plainly ignorant of it, but I don't even want to mention the word Marillion for fear that I'll end up upset or violent, or both. I kept saying I was on holiday, but he wasn't deterred. He then told me all about England and then Belgium. To make matters much worse, he continued to stand between the sun and me until we were both forced to move away just to escape his perspectives on things he knew nothing of and to catch some sunshine. However, the German lady, who was also very sticky, called over an Italian lady who ran a five-star B&B. She gave us a card and it did look lovely, but she was fully booked. Shame. However, she knew of another place and wrote the name down for us. Villa La Lucy at Castagneto Carducci. When the sun went down, we drove there and found Villa La Lucy almost straight away. Very beautiful and exquisitely decorated. Ran by a couple of gay guys. Giovanni showed us round and we checked in. Ate at a restaurant called something Magano in the strange deserted ghost village of Borghi, also at the suggestion of the sticky Germans. Very nice. Wednesday, 10th of October. Woke up to a beautiful day and had breakfast in the beautiful kitchen of the Villa La Lucy. I don't mean to be sexist, but gay guys always seem to outclass straight folks when it comes to style taste and attention to detail. The room was a haven, even relatively so here in Italy where everything is already beautiful. The breakfast was cooked to perfection, the toast was lovely, the marmalade and the jams were homemade and fab and Rufus Wainwright was singing under the peach trees from the hi-fi. And we're back. Hey! And, and Mark's got that kind of startled look on his face. I think the realisation of what TCD is all about has come as a bit of a shock to him. Yes. Um, but this is fairly normal, actually, for us. Yeah. Um, and to answer your question about careful editing, possibly one day. We haven't got that far as yet. Oh, I see. So it literally goes out as is. Well, we, 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 take, yeah. we chop odd bits out. Yeah, no swearing, right? I don't think as much as you like. Oh, Lewis was... I had to edit a bit of Lewis. It? Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah. Best left on said that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but no, no. Generally, it stays in, and in terms of language, yeah, fill, fill your boots. Absolutely, absolutely <laughs> fill your boots. Not a problem in the slightest. Uh, we won't talk about boots. the diary. Um, 
because uh, we've got Mark here, and, and that would be a bit a bit wrong to talk about what happened in 2007. Although I have to um, say about the diary, my my favourite memory, which I didn't remember at all until I read it, was the the one about the police car and you, <laughs> me suggesting that that. Um, that we go and pull alongside this car oh, and, that one. and yeah, because um, yeah, we didn't know it was a police car. Pull Everybody along... stare at the people in this <laughs> yeah, car. Yeah, as we as we're driving past, all make a face at them and stare at them. So <laughs> of course everybody did, and then it turns out there was a four plain coast policemen. <laughs> and uh, luck, luckily they didn't pull us over. Anyway, it's in the diary. Read it. I I, I was laughing out loud, even though I was the 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 um, the point of the joke. <laughs> Well, on the subject of books, on the subject of books, yours came out, didn't it, earlier in the year? It came out, yeah. When did it come out? About um, less than a year ago. Um, yeah, be- beginning of this year, in fact. Well beginning done. Beginning of this year. How did you find that as a process? I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I started off, well, I was told the best way to do it, would, if, if you're not a writer like me, would be to sort of dictate it all into a microphone and then hand it over to a ghostwriter and they'll write it up and turn it into a book and... I started doing that for a few, you know an hour or so, and then thought this isn't really working. So then I started writing it, and then um, my ghostwriter is a chap called Phil Wilding, who's a journalist and a writer, and I like his style, so I asked him if he would do it, and um, he basically tarted up what I wrote. So um, you know, just made me more interesting and funny than I am in real life. I know that's difficult to imagine, but um... Mark is very funny, especially once he's got a drink in him. Yeah, not, to tell but you. not too many, right? But no, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And I was going to say because I know I know a ghostwriter, and having chatted to him about this, I, I was a bit kind of unsure as what actually does a ghostwriter do. But he said you don't actually change that; you tighten it a little bit, yeah, a little I, bit of pacing, maybe. Exactly. There was a few things that he did that I thought, all oh, right, I get it now. So it was like you know, just to, to do with structure and stuff. Um, mm. But but a lot of it was just tightening it up and adding a few gags here and there that were really yeah. spot on but I was you know I wasn't sure whether I should have been pleased or disappointed when he returned the chapters to me virtually unchanged you know <laughs> I was thinking but it's still got to sound like you hasn't it well exactly yeah, I mean, and point. it does it does yeah um, I mean what Simon was saying was that invariably you, like you say you might add a few bits in terms of the, there might be there might be a gag there that might be missed there might be a good a good line there that hasn't been emphasised. And, and in a lot of instances, it's probably taking words out rather than putting words in. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, cutting it um, down. <laughs> how long did it take you then, the whole process of of, of trawling your memory? There's about, there's 20-odd chapters, about 120,000 words, and I was doing a chapter every couple of weeks. It was about six months. It was, right. it was a nice leisurely pace, really. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, with H, that was written in the moment. I mean, over obviously a long period of time, but it's written in. You know, I mean, to be fair, H, you obviously you you you'll do a month or a few weeks, and then you'd have a break, and then you'd come back to it. But I mean, you you've put it all together in one go, Mark, haven't you? Really, for yeah, yeah, it was. It didn't feel like it was intensive work. You know, writing five thousand words in two weeks is not difficult, really, especially when you know the story. You know, you you think you know the story anyway. Yeah, was the decision. did COVID provide the window? Was, how long has it been in the planet? How long have you, we, have you been going to do it? I didn't plan it. I was I was asked by Nick Shilton, who's a journalist and publisher. Uh, he interviewed me for my solo album back in December of 2020 and or 21. 
And um, he said, have you ever thought about doing a book? And I was like, no. And then he said, well, I think you could if you, you know, I think you've got a story to tell is, is how he put it. And I thought, I thought about it for a bit and thought, you know what? Yeah, maybe I will. So then I called him up and we, we um, discussed how we'd do it. So yeah, it wasn't something that I was, you know, itching to do or I had on my mind for a while. It was literally, how about this? Yeah, let's do it. So yeah, it was good. I'm pleased to enjoy. I'm pleased to enjoy the process. What about the the solo album as well then? Because um, that's another COVID thing for you, isn't it? It was. That was before the book. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing that too. Um, but I haven't really been in a hurry to do another one. But we've we've been pretty busy, haven't we? To be fair. Well, that's what happened to me. I did one. When, when was mine? Twenty five years ago. I've been getting round to doing another one. I've got nothing still so yeah that's the problem i mean it, i i used a few of the things that i come up with in the context of marillion jams and stuff as starting points um for some of the songs but um but yeah i'm not i'm not desperate to write another one but but if we were sat at home for six months knowing that we weren't going to be doing anything else then i probably would because yeah. i haven't got another book to write so i'm gonna have to do something you know you know fancy a foray into fiction then no I think right. we've all we've also sort of developed um, over the years into a place where there kind of isn't the need so much creatively to do solo work because we're getting whatever we need to get out of our systems to, with, yeah, within the fold, true. aren't we? Yeah, it's we, true. Um, I think there was a time when I felt the need to um, run off and do something elsewhere because there were there were things I wanted to get out but they were blocking up my pipes that I couldn't get out within the the framework of really and I don't really have that feeling anymore I feel like we can get it all out during the albums these days so there isn't the same imperative to you know I don't end up with a load of stuff that that I wish I could use and you know I think there's a, every every chance whatever I've got will will be used within within the framework of Marillion going forward. Because there's only really Pete who constantly needs to be, seems to need to be doing something as well. I think he's just um, one of those guys that likes to work a lot and is in demand to, you know, it's, he's got so many different projects on the go, there's always something for him to do and I think it suits him, you know. He's a great bass player and a lot of people, you know, from... From all sorts of genres as well, I think can see him for what he is, which is a really consummate musician. So now we've got part way through the tour, and you know, obviously the album's being played a lot live, which is great. You you probably, I guess, the process of writing it's starting to fade a little bit in the memory, just a little. Any any thought towards when you're going to start maybe doing a bit of jamming again? I wondered what you meant by that, like as in the process beginning to fade. It's a bit like, you know, the um, uh, the pain of labour from childbirth. That's is, exactly where I was going That's where you were coming from. Yeah, exactly where I was going with it. Not that we, not us three men, would know anything about that, obviously. Not in wanna, the slightest, no. other than fingernails and in the clear. wrists and, and what have you. That's yeah. about as close as it got. But, yeah, that's a good, I think it's a good analogy, even though I wouldn't know personally, but, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> The thing about labour, you are kind of committed to it at that stage. You know, you don't have to force yourself. Whereas with with 
With, you know, with writing, there's an element of having to get out of bed in the morning and do it as well, um, which which makes it, you know, not harder, of course, but a different sort of process. Um, we, I think we were talking about keeping busy most of next year as well, weren't we? And then looking at, at, at getting on to the, the next one in 2024. Four. We've got, yeah, we've got the weekends, which are going to take up a big chunk of the, the year, the first half of the year. And then we've got some other stuff planned for later in the year. Um, there'll probably be some room for, for jamming and writing in, 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 in amongst that, but it's certainly not going to be an album by the end of the year. But the following year... No. I think, yeah, you're probably right. That'll probably be the point where we really knuckle down. Hmm. And that would be the kind of point when the the memory has, has, has faded just <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, the, the thing is, writing, you don't know when you turn up in the studio which days are going to be yeah. the, 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 the really you know, fulfilling, productive, you know, uplifting days, but you have to turn up, you know, even yeah. though you know that it's, there's a good chance it's not going to be that rewarding um and can be sometimes quite frustrating um but it's worth it for the for the good days right i think the the, days when ian doesn't declare it vomit exactly i think the crux of it all is is when enough time has lapsed to persuade mike hunter to want to work with us again (laughs) because at the end of each album he vows he'll never do another one with us and and then three years goes by and we just manage to get mike Mike, you don't fancy anyway. Only if okay, I'll do it, but only if blah 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 blah. We get that. You you have our word, Mike. Or he eventually comes round to saying things like, you know, that he's getting ready when he says, you know, I'm not expecting that you're going to work with me on the next album, but if you were going to, then maybe we could look at this <laughs> or that. So, you know, he's ah, uh, yeah, he's it. very self-deprecating and and you know denies his own talents and and is is you know like fully expecting us to fire him at any minute you know there was one time when, when somebody said to mike mark wants a word with you and for him that meant mark's gonna fire you because he'd heard that i was the, the hatchet man the axe, the axe man if if anybody was to be fired it was me that did it so because mark wants a word with you for him was code for your your outmate <laughs> And it, I, oh. I can't even remember what it was that I wanted a word with him about, but it certainly wasn't anything bad. Probably wanted to borrow a hard drive or something. Yeah. <laughs> I get I get the impression that actually, you know, like you, you go away, you go out on tour for three or four months and it, and it just gives Mike a little bit of space just to collect himself again. Well, he has to do a lot of work, doesn't he? He's, he really does pull it all together. Hmm. And he's constantly working as well, isn't he? Because he's constantly remixing something or editing something or pulling some sound from something together. Yes. I think also the the, the time once the work is out in the world and the reaction to it by the people and the fans must must lift him. I mean, he, mm. mu- he must think, wow, look at the reaction to that. Maybe I was right. You know, because when you any kind of creative work, when you're putting it together, there is that voice in your ear all the, all the time going, "Is any of this any good? Have I lost my mind? Have I have I convinced myself this is great and it's rubbish?" Um, and there's all, always a point in the creative process where you think, "Yes, I have lost my mind, and it probably is all rubbish." And and your your self worth goes down the tube, but. That happens to Mike on most records, and 
we're not the people to be going, Mike, it's great, man. Because we're all going, oh, I don't know about that. Oh, I don't know about that. All the time. You know, all the way from the get-go, right through the mixes and everything. And then it's mixed and it's finished and we all go, I don't know about that. And then, and, and, and then, and then we, there's a point where we all listen to it and go, that's amazing. And we phone it, Mike, this new work's amazing, you know, and, it, and he throws his head into his hands, you know, despairingly. But you've been bitching on at me now for three years about this and you've just told me it's great. But that's because we 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 want it to be as good as it can be. So we're just picky bastards. Mm. But it's land. I mean, I, I mean, all the stuff that Mike's done's been great, but particularly the last three, you know, they've all seem to have got as close as you could possibly get to, I guess, what what you thought you could get to. He's grown, and we've all grown into working together as a unit, I think, over the over a period of time. The you last could, 10 years, really, yeah. That's that sort of, we've become, I don't know, it's not something you're conscious of, but I think it, that has happened to us, hasn't it? A bit of pressure for the next one because it does feel like they've, you know, the la- like you said, the last three, but not only are the last three really good, they've got better, in my opinion. Um, so I uh, didn't think we could follow Fear, to be honest. I was, you know, cacking my pants at the thought of trying to follow that. And not only have we followed it, we've we kind of knocked it into the, into the, the rear stalls. Uh, so God knows what we'll do next. I would agree with that because I have to say I've hardly listened to Fear since the new one came out. Yeah, and that's you know I've I've just listened to the new one so much. Yeah, they're quite different as well, which is which is yeah. which is nice to to know that we can do something you know that feels different this late in our career. You know, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about what we could do next. Also, mm. slightly scared. <laughs> <laughs> not as scared Which, as me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> at least we've got. It's not a competition. At least I'm just saying. At least there's four other people that are going to be coming up with musical ideas and arrangement ideas, but there's only one person coming up with lyrics. Yeah. Yeah, but how great is it to, to your point at this stage in your career, be excited and a little bit scared about what's going to come next? That's brilliant. I suppose. I mean, to have, you know. Yeah. If we weren't a little bit scared. Yeah, I think that's just because we we care about it and we want it to be really good. We're not just going through the motions, and that's that is really nice to, to to you know to know that and feel that. Yeah, yeah, it's still all about the music for us, um, and that's not true. I don't think of a lot of bands at this point in their careers and the ripe old age once they've got bus passes and everything. Um, but it's still, you know, I don't think. I don't think our attitude to why we do this has, has changed at all since we were, you know, kids. You don't get bus passes anymore. Maybe oh, that's why. Have Maybe. I not got one? I don't, well, <laughs> you can get a senior citizen's <laughs> rail card. That'll do. <laughs> I think there's a difference between whether you've got one or whether you qualify. All right. Ah, yes. Okay. You, you can't get buses where I live anyway. It's a waste of, waste of time. Well, it's Andrea Ledson, you see. Um, yeah. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, And of Andrea Loathsome, as, yeah. as my mate calls him. Um, final question before we go, Mark. <laughs> and thank you very much for, for, 
for sitting in the breeze block room and, and finding some time. It's very yes, much thank appreciated. You. Well, I was very interested to know what actually went on in these podcasts, and, and now I know. <laughs> yeah, well, they're all different. Flight. They're all a bit different. Yes. Um, H's Natural Show in Oxford. Um, I think it's first, second weekend of December H. 17th, I think. It's a Saturday. Because um, a couple of times you've been very close to coming and playing along for a song. Are you going to You once nearly and... came and did, did, did it. Yeah. You were going to come and then you got sick. You were on your yeah. way and you, you got ill. Yeah. Okay, 17th of December. I'm still in the country. Are you, are you asking me? Well, Ant's asking come me. Come and about... do Neverland. Okay. For the crack. Okay, is it in Oxford? Ne- is Neverland in Oxford? No, no, <laughs> no, no. It's a, it's a gig in Oxford. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, well, it's only ten minutes down the road. There I could, you go. I could do Neverland and be home in time for bed. You could come on a bike. Yeah. No, that's yeah. <laughs> okay. Challenge accepted or invitation accepted, I should say. I'd love in to. In all seriousness, where was Jay and Barry from? Uh, Does it, anybody know? He probably was from there. Wasn't he? Oh, was it hot... was uh, the guy that did uh, Alice in Wonderland. He yeah, was Oxford, Lewis, Lewis Carroll, Lewis Carroll, and Tolkien, yeah. and yeah, they had that, that little little writing group at the Eagle and Child, the Inklings, they called themselves. There was a third one, and I can't remember who it was. It sounds right. Scottish. Wasn't Jeffrey Archer? To me, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey <Yeah>. Archer. <laughs> no. Well, it, in which case, then? He might oh, sorry, Scottish H. or Jilly Cooper. Yeah, yeah, probably. Imagine Jilly Cooper in that crowd. <laughs> Jilly Cooper, C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Yeah. Um, in which case, that's a date. I look forward to that. That's going to be great. Um, and obviously, have a have a good night tonight because it's second night in Utrecht, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Thank it you. I'm looking forward to. It. Mm, me too. In fact, you must be due to sound check, are you? Are you in five to? minutes. Right. Okay. We better shut up then. Yeah. We've got right. shit to do. You've got shit to do. Yeah. Right. Well, I'll leave you to it. H, I'll see you next week. Okay. Thank you, Anthony. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank, thank you, Mark. everybody, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this, uh, Mark's inner workings. I was hoping to see Anthony had some decks, and then it could be Ant's decks. No, uh, get it. Uh, Ant's and, no. and decks. <laughs> no, no. no okay. bring, some, bring some. Bring some. I'll bring some. I could, I could do a bit of DJ in it. No, I better not even say that. <laughs> right, I'll see you next time. Toodaloo. Cheers. Bye. Cracking. Thank you, Mark. Greetings from... Where the hell am I? I've actually forgotten. Oh, I remember. Grenoble, nestling in the French Alps. I can see the mountains out the window. No snow on the top of them. Must be a sign of the times. I don't have a keyboard or anything similar, and I'm buggered if I'm sitting around editing MIDI all day today. So this'll just have to be a shout out. Once only, hopefully. I'd like to thank Margaret Zilstra de Muink from Holland, my newest purple chum. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.